For those of you who are watching from Vanuatu, we say hello. And wherever you may be uh, watching from, Daniel is on his uh, uh, little sabbatical. Uh, earlier this week, they had vacation celebrating their 11th wedding anniversary. So we're glad that he gets a little break. And uh, I'm here today as Pastor Emeritus. Uh, most of my ministry responsibilities and opportunities have to do with counseling people. Uh, many of you have uh, called or emailed or made appointments. I get to sit down with folks and try to help them navigate life's difficulties and problems or uh, questions about the faith. And as I did, Daniel asked me if I would speak today. And I thought, well, what, what would I speak on today? And I got to thinking, what am I dealing with most often in, uh, that people come and present with in counseling? And certainly there's anxiety and depressions and fears and worries and relational issues and financial. But you know, there is one, as I've been counseling on the Western Slope now over 45 years, that uh, keeps reoccurring that I thought would be very helpful. And that is, what do you do when someone hurts you, when you, when you have a hurt, when you're offended. Now, if you've lived very long at all, you probably have compiled uh, a number of times that people have hurt you. Maybe they have uh, insulted you or criticized you, wrongly accused you, or talked behind your back. Maybe uh, made fun of you or left you out, left you behind, neglected you, rejected you. Maybe uh, abuse, mistreatment, maybe misunderstood. We all experience those things as we live in life. And maybe because someone deliberately wants to hurt you, it's one thing. Sometimes it can be done thoughtlessly. And then there are other times we're just collateral damage in somebody else's world, right? We happen to get uh, wounded as they move through their lives. But it, regardless of what it is, we have to deal with the hurt that comes in our lives when people offend us. And I have to tell you that over the years, uh, not only my experience and my counseling, but certainly the, the literature uh, is that a hurt can be a toxic bomb and requires uh, some degree of sophistication of being able to diffuse that without becoming even more injured than the original intention, the original injury. You may be sitting here thinking, well, Doug, I know what to do with a hurt. Somebody offends me. I just, I hurt them back. That's exactly the way you handle it. Well, you probably don't do that very much because you may not be in a position to do so or you don't want to be arrested. And so what you do is... No one admits this. I've never had anyone admit that they held a grudge. But what people would say, well, what I do is I just, I just have a video in my mind of that offense, and I play it through a couple of times and get all revved up, and then about the third or fourth time, I smack them. And I tell them exactly what's what. I tell them off and leave them there in the dust. I do all that in my mind. My, my thoughts and my emotions, I just punish them. Well, when that happens, what we do is we... We, we release ourselves into some depths of resentment and bitterness. Have you ever been around a bitter person? It's not pleasant. And we don't like to think of ourselves as bitter. In fact, we might not even admit that. 
But I'm going to give you a way to detect whether or not bitterness could be operating inside your own heart. Uh, We multiply bitterness and resentment every time that we think through in our mind and remember that offense. And we, we don't think in words on a page. We all think in videos, pictures, sound, lights, camera, feelings. We attach emotions to those videos of what people did when they hurt us. Years later, we may have a memory, some reason that prompted to recall the hurt that happened years ago. And ooh. In fact, you could be on vacation. You could be on the beach. You could be sitting watching a sunset thousands of miles away from where you live and from your job. And, and then all of a sudden, the memory the thought of someone on your job who has been mistreating you comes and stabs you right there in the midst of your vacation. That's the way it can work. That's the way it can work if we remember those things. We have an unpleasant and tortured existence if we allow the memory of what people have done to hurt us to replay over and over. It can, be, it can feel obsessive, and overwhelming. It can drain enjoyment and happiness from our days. I've discovered over the years that it is the source of most people's discontent and even misery. And so I have set about to be able to help people deal with those hurts, present or past. Have you ever found yourself meeting someone and you never knew them before? You just saw them and immediately you disliked them. And you just gave them a cold shoulder and tried to avoid. Well, guess what? In the parlance of today, I hear a lot, you were triggered. What that means is, is that you saw someone that reminded you of a hurt that somebody else inflicted on you years ago. And we use that word triggered to justify our reaction or response to someone today because of what someone did to us in the past. We're vulnerable. Our chain can be yanked without us really understanding exactly how that happens. Those accumulated offenses and hurts over the years, mishandling those can be dangerous and detrimental to our mental health. And you'll see in a moment even to our physical health because of what happens. We can begin to put up walls to prevent people in the future from hurting us. Unknowingly, we wall people out, and it can become a very lonely existence because we do not allow people to get close enough to hurt us. The lives we lived are effective, whether we know it or care or not, from previous experiences of hurt from other people. And there's really only one way to be able to deal with those hurts in a way that extinguishes the flame of the pain. We're sort of tricked into thinking that if I recall and replay that hurt, I'm doing something about it. Somehow, as I replay a previous hurt that someone has done, and as I replay it, I I let them have it. I tell them what's what. I put them down. I leave them wordless. Somehow in doing that, I feel like I'm doing something about it. But they have no clue. 
It's not hurting them. What I'm doing is as I replay those, I'm draining energy. And even though it feels a little empowering, it feels a little pleasant, after 10 or 12 of those, I pretty well trash myself. So how do you avoid that? How do you avoid replaying those? There is another way. And this other way that we're going to look at is completely counterintuitive and it's scary. And there's only a certain group of people who are qualified to employ this supernatural option upon being hurt. You may be part of those people who are qualified to employ this supernatural solution. Those people are those who are followers of Jesus, who have been forgiven by Jesus as he suffered and died on the cross for all the wrongs that I've committed or ever will commit, I've been forgiven. And now I have I've become qualified and even empowered to be able to forgive. Because you see, when I believe that Jesus died for me, I receive him as my Savior. He fills me with his Holy Spirit so that I have within me the very DNA of Jesus who suffered and died to forgive me. So I can now forgive. It's so prominent in Jesus' teaching. Can you remember a passage where Jesus mentioned forgiveness? What would that be? This is not a theological test. The Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together. Because it gives us an occasion to sort of uh, review those whom we have imprisoned in our minds. And to set them free. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The word debts could be trespasses or sins. I think it's just an accumulation of wrongs. Forgive me of my wrongs that I've done against you and everybody else as I forgive those who have done wrong against me. Can we stand before God and pray that prayer and say, yes, I have forgiven any and all who have offended me, who have hurt me, and who have wronged me, just as I have been forgiven by you. That's where we want to stand. Hopefully by the end of the message today and the homework that you take home with you, <clears throat> you'll be able to stand and have that clear of a conscience, having cleaned up that list. Before we get into what forgiveness really is and how to do it, let's take another look at what Jesus has to say about it. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You see, in his day, the teachings of the rabbis were that you would forgive seven times. Seven is the number of completion. And so someone has offended you. Someone has criticized you or said something bad about you. And you're going like this. (laughs) 
And then you let them have it. Well, I did my forgiveness. I did my seven times. But Jesus says, answering, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And if you're reading that in your uh, study Bible, and by the way, whenever I preach, I always bring my Bible, and you can tell it's been well used. I hope you have one that uh, has the scars and marks of years of study. Uh, an NIV study Bible, at the bottom of the page, it has notes that explain the words of the Bible above. I can tell you that the bottom of your NIV study Bible is like having a Bible college education right there. And so I would encourage you to have a Bible that you can study because you're going to find this also says it doesn't necessarily just mean uh, 77, but 7 times 70. Now, you, you math whiz, how, ma- how much is 7 times 70? 49? That's close. How much is 7 times 70? 490. You got the first part right. 490. Can you imagine forgiving someone 490 times? That really means you just forgive as often as it is that you remember the offense. That could be 490 times a day. Right? As many times. And Jesus told a parable. Uh, And we're in Matthew. Daniel has been leading us through John. And there aren't many parables in John because Jesus is teaching and healing. But in Matthew, he tells a story, a parable to illustrate what it means to forgive. Therefore, he says in Matthew 18, 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, is that what that says? Yeah. Now, originally it says uh, 10,000 talents. Talents was uh, a uh, currency that was used in the day. And a talent would be uh, 60, uh, 60 times a day labor. A denarii was what you would get paid for a day of labor. But nowadays, let's say you get, let's be generous and say you get $15 an hour times eight hours a day. How much is that? What, is it 120 Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Daniel got his, his math acumen for me, by the way. And, and so uh, a talent, if you owed someone a talent, or somebody owed you a talent, it would be the equivalent of a day's wage. And so this guy owes the master 60 million talents. I don't know how he ran that bill up, but it would take a while to pay that off. He was unable to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and children, all he had to be sold to repay the debt. <laughs> okay, off you go. We're going to sell you. And the, the, at this, the servant fell on his knees and said, please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. The, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. What if you got a phone call tomorrow from the bank that said, you know, someone paid your mortgage off. In fact, they paid all your credit card debts. You now have no debt at all. You are free. That'd be good news, wouldn't it? Oh, you would think this guy was just skipping along after being freed. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, 100 denarii. Now, that's right in the study Bible to tell you how much that is. And so he had been forgiven millions, and he finds a fellow servant who owes him just hundreds. 
He grabbed him, began to choke him, and said, Pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, how likely are you going to be able to pay a debt if you're in prison? Not very. That's like a life sentence. Wow. Other servants saw what had happened. They were outraged went and told the master everything. The master called his servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? You see, it's ludicrous to be forgiven of a debt of millions and go out and punish someone for owing you hundreds. You would think that being forgiven would prompt you to forgive, but not this guy. And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all he owed. I don't know what the hourly rate is for being tortured. I don't even know if they pay you. But it's very unlikely that he's going to be able to pay it back while he's spending eight hours a day being tortured. This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How does that fit with your idea of God? One thing I can tell you is that forgiving other people is very important to God, especially when you've been forgiven. Now, I believe, as I've read this and experienced and counseled, that it's not God that imposes this punishment. I think that we're very capable of doing it to ourselves. I believe the tormentors and the torturers that are mentioned here are all the times that we replay the hurt time and again, experiencing the pain, the shame, humiliation of that hurt over and over, torturing ourselves, thinking that we're doing something about it when actually all we're doing is just whipping ourselves every day, obsessively and compulsively. We think that when we've done this, when we've uh, seen the other person uh, experience our wrath in our mind, that that person should have been would have been punished. But that person doesn't have any idea what you're doing. And every time that you replay that video of that hurt, it ramps up the amount, the unit of hurts in your own mind. It, it hurt bad enough the first time, did it not? The next time you repeat it, that second unit of hurt and pain is added. And if you do it a dozen times, there's 12 units now, 100 times. 100 units of hurt and pain you have from the original offense. And let's say, for example, that the person of the original offense comes back and apologizes to you. Well, they owe you 100 now. They only thought they owe you one. And this is most often likely to happen in household, is it not? Because there's where we're able to be offended or offend. Let's say, for example, I'm putting dishes in the dishwasher. And someone in my household tells me 
that's not the way to do it. Well, I feel criticized. And so I do it the way I'm told, but I walk away, and I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm a grown man. What they doing criticizing me about putting dishes in? And I go over it and over it and over it, over it, and sleep way over on the side of the bed that night. And it could be that that person, that lovely person, comes back and says, you know, I realized I was a little harsh and criticized you for the way that you did the dishwasher. Well, I'm already ahead 100 units of hurt and pain. And, and this one little apology is not going to do it. And so I'm left holding the bag. And our relationship is disrupted. Because what I have done is multiply the offense. It was bad enough to start with. Don't multiply the pain by replaying it in our minds. Now, all of these mental repetitions stir our emotions. It's proven medically that our pulse rate increases, our blood pressure goes up. It's what we call stress. And there's enough stress in the world today without stressing ourselves out. It's even been demonstrated that people who are replaying these offenses over and over, resentment and bitterness releases toxic hormones into our physical bodies that damage and inflames different parts. It also drains our energy. If I'm spending all this time going over and getting upset again with revenge and retaliation in my mind, I'm draining energy into that enterprise and I have less energy to deal with everyday things. So I'm more apt to be irritable or angry if I see you after I'm going over and over all these things the other person that did to me. There are physiological damages that come as we replay offenses. Now, I love it when medical science validates what the Bible's been teaching for thousands of years. And you can Google it. If you just, you just put forgiveness, you will have hundreds of sites that will tell you things like this. Well, let's start first with bitterness. Uh, Stephen Diamond, Ph. Stephen, are you here today? I don't know him, but he's got to be an authority, right? He defines bitterness as a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment, one of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions. If we repeatedly ruminate over how we've been victimized, nursing those wrongs, nursing the grudge, we may begin to be defined by that experience. It may take hold of our personality. We'll end up becoming victims, not so much of someone else, but of ourselves. A study recently done by Columbia University has found that constant bitterness can make a person ill. Holding on to bitterness can affect metabolism, immune response, and organ function, and lead to physical disease. What this is saying is that as you allow bitterness and resentment to replay over and over in your mind, you are literally lowering your immune response to outside germs and intrusions. Now, if you want to look up uh, forgiveness, there are hundreds of places that will tell you about the benefits of forgiving someone. In fact, the very first one uh, says, 
The benefits of letting go of grudges and bitterness, here they are, they're like bullet points. Healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. So bitterness literally can make you sick, can harm your body, can destroy relationships. Replaying in your mind past offenses is one of the most dangerous things that you can do for your health and well-being, your relationships. I've developed a new phrase I use in counseling. It goes like this. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm kind of kidding, but, but that's kind of what we need to do. We, we need to apprehend that, that movement that tends us toward bitterness and resentment. Um, not many people ever admit. Hold, I, in fact, in, in my years of counseling, a person will tell me all the bad things somebody else has done to them. And, and I used to say something like, well, it sounds like you're nursing a grudge. You're holding a grudge. Oh, no, I don't have, no, I don't have a grudge. Well, wait a second. You just told me all these bad things this person has done to you, and you begin to get more and more agitated as you told me every one. Yeah, but I'm not the kind of person who's bitter or holds a grudge. No, forget the words. If you find yourself replaying hurtful things that people have done to you from your past a minute ago, 10 years ago, decades ago, then... That is what's detrimental to your health and to relationships. So what we want to do is look at how to forgive. It's a very precise process. Oftentimes, people will describe to me all the bad things someone has done to them. And they will say, yeah, but I've forgiven them. And I will ask, I said, please describe to me what you mean by that. When, when did you forgive them, and how did that look? How did that work? And it gets really, really fuzzy. It's almost as if the idea of forgiveness crossed their mind because they knew somehow as part of being a Christian, and somehow they convinced themselves, well, I have forgiven. I said, well, you've just detail to me all the hurt and pain, got yourself all agitated, how could you have forgiven and still be in that state? If those previous memories still hurt and prompt within you that response, maybe you need to give a little more thought to how to forgive. Paul talks about it in Colossians 3.13, and he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have his grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, you are in a very privileged group as having been forgiven by Jesus Christ because now you are experienced in the area of forgiveness, qualified and empowered to forgive. In Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. What did it cost Jesus to forgive you of all the wrongs that you've ever done to anyone? It cost his life. It cost him pain and suffering. And so that's why I warn you and say this is costly and it's scary to forgive other people. Because 
what you're going to be doing is you're going to be letting him off the hook. And you're going to be absorbing that pain, that injustice, without getting justice, without seeing them suffer an appropriate amount. Are you willing to do that? Why would you be willing to do that? Well, obviously, for health reasons, it could be selfishly motivated to free. In fact, most all world religions and philosophers and psychologists now have identified it so much better to forgive for yourself. Let yourself off the hook. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and watching for the other person to die, is what they say. And so it can be very selfishly motivated, but that's not the point that Jesus gave us. We are to forgive, not just because it is healthier, but because when we forgive, we do something that is astounding in this world of vindication and atrocity. We do something astounding when we shine the light of forgiveness into another person's life. They may never know, but we have released spiritually the power of Jesus' resurrection when we are willing to forgive. How do you forgive? Like I said, this is a process. I've got several steps here. You can write these down, and there's some that you might bypass, but there's some that you can't. First of all, make a conscious decision and commitment to forgive. You haven't done it yet, but you're saying, I will forgive. Who is it that you need to forgive? Maybe this very moment, it popped up in your mind, an offense that you experienced days or years ago that still hurts as you remember it, and you need to forgive. And you can even say right now, I commit myself, I will forgive that person for that offense. So then you open your journal or your notebook. Hopefully you've got a place with your Bible at your house where you meet with God on a daily basis. You've got a notebook and a journal or paper there. So you take that and you draw a line down the center, vertically. On the left-hand side, you write the word offenses at the top. You are now entering the courtroom of heaven where legal transactions take place. And you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to protect you. You're going to, for the last time, review an offense. Always before, when you reviewed it, it agitated you and made you hurt more. But you're asking the Holy Spirit to protect you from that as you review it for the last time to be able to put it down so that it can be cast out and taken away from the hurtful part of your heart. So you write it down exactly what happened. When this person did that or said that, I was reminded of an incident that happened to me when I was a seventh grader as I was preparing for this. I have to tell you that it would even be hard for me to relate this to you now because it's embarrassing and shameful. When I was in seventh grade, it was junior high. Junior high was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. If you've seen the schoolyard, you know how big are 7th graders and how big are ninth graders. Ninth graders have been through puberty, and they're, they're almost like adults. 7th graders are still <laughs> kind of like little kids. So there was this tradition where I went to school that the ninth graders could initiate or haze the 7th graders. Well, we couldn't really do anything about it because we were <laughs> small and they were big. 
So I was walking back to school from having gone home for lunch one day at the beginning of the seventh grade year. And on the way, I saw coming toward me three big ninth graders. And I wasn't inside of the school. I was on a residential street. And when they saw me, their interest focused on me. Hey, aren't you a seventh grader? Maybe I Yeah. Well, we're able to paddle your butt because that's what the tradition is. But we don't have paddles, so we're going to kick your butt today. So in humiliation, they made me bend over, and each one of them kicked my butt. Laughed, went on their way. I went on to school. For years and decades afterwards, when that memory would come back, it was like being stabbed because it was so shameful. It still hurt. I hated those guys. In fact, talking to my parents one day, my mother told me one of the guys as an adult had died. I said, yes! I'm a pastor. And then, one day some years ago, it was almost like God brought this to my mind. and said, you know, you don't, you don't need to be suffering from this. It happened over 60 years ago. Let's nullify this. And so I wrote down their names on the left side of the paper. And what they had done is they had humiliated me, kicked my butt on the street. I wrote it down specifically. You need to be specific about what you're forgiving and who you're forgiving. On the right-hand side of the page, I wrote out, I forgive, and I put the three names in, for humiliating me that day, kicking me on the street. I signed it, and I dated it. I drew a line through it. So what happens three seconds after you go through this process, this ceremony of forgiveness in the courtroom of heaven? What happens three seconds later? I can tell you. A thought will come to your mind. Yeah, but look what they did. And I'm like, nope. I have a legal document here. I am freeing them and freeing myself. I'm not going to go through it again. Two seconds later, yeah, but what they... No. Nope. In fact, that can go on for hours. It depends on who did what for days. And believe me, I have walked with people through forgiving others of heinous things. And this is what releases, redeems, and frees, and heals a heart. You write it down. And when you walk away, you enforce it. You have a legal ceremony in heaven's court. And then you enforce it by refusing to allow another replay of that hurtful experience. And that is warfare because that has worn a groove in your mind over the years. It's been on a highway and you're now trying to stop a truck coming in to unload toxic waste on your mind. Sometimes you get run over, but you continue to point back to the document just like Jesus forgave me and he tore up all the offenses that I had done and wronged other people when he died on the cross. I forgive. I forgive. And I enforce it. Do you see the two parts? 
the legal document, and the enforcement. Because when you replay those hurts, you are accusing those people over and over, right? Accusing them of hurting you. And I can tell you there is an outside influence in that accusation. You may or may not believe this part. That's okay. But the devil is an accuser. The word devil means accuser. The word Satan means enemy or adversary. And so any time that I accuse others of that hurt in my own mind, I'm partnering with the chief accuser. And I refuse to do that. I just really don't want to partner with the devil in trashing other people in my mind. And he doesn't just accuse other people through me. He accuses me to me. He says, you're such a loser. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. So what I want to do, I'm going to disconnect from the accuser. And I'm going to begin to live in grace. I'm going to begin to live in a way of forgiveness. I'm going to make forgiveness a a daily experience of my life. So, Doug, you just let them off? They just go free? Maybe. I don't know. That's God's part. Whatever happens with them. I've seen over the years that when someone offends me in a certain way that is motivated by their self-centeredness, they're doing that in other areas of their lives, and they reap those consequences. But no longer am I tormenting myself with what they did. And here's another thing to really help you and reduce the, the amount of forgiveness you need to give. Some things don't need to be forgiven because you weren't offended in a way to forgive. A person may have a different political outlook than you or a different moral lifestyle. And you may find yourself agonizing, being angry and replaying the words that person said and in your own mind you're, you're, you're rebutting them and you're, you're, you're trying to get back at them and they don't even know you. God has deputized us to be agents of grace, not to be judgment people in this world. Yeah, there are going to be people who differ from you in their beliefs, opinions, lifestyles, but that's not your business. Your business is to be gracious and loving to the people in your life. And if you encounter someone like that, then to be able to be gracious and having a discussion and not be tarnishing them. So maybe I just reduce for you in half the number of people you need to forgive. You don't need to forgive them. You just need to be understanding and gracious about those people. Let's just take a moment because you're going to have the communion in just a moment. When you take that cup that represents Jesus' blood and the wafer that represents his body broken for you, and you receive his enormous forgiveness, enormous washing over you. Everything you've ever done wrong to God, to others, to the environment, to people, he's forgiven you. And then you might want to ask him, God, who do I need to forgive? 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. And so it could be right here today that you begin to be free. That you begin to free others that you've held in your mind and tortured yourself with. Don't just listen to a message and walk out. Because this is actionable. And offers you an opportunity to be free by the saving power of Jesus Christ. It'll take time. But it could be that you go through a list of people and offenses. And you literally free yourself up and clean the slate and provide for yourself the energy and the joy to love God and love people in a new way. Let me pray for you. Father, I I thank you so much that we have been forgiven. We've experienced it. And we can forgive. We're empowered to forgive. Qualified. Motivated. Father, I pray that anyone that has come to the mind of people here today to be forgiven, that they will carry that through to the last nth degree until complete forgiveness and freedom has been achieved. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.